0: You're listening to Down Home Fear, exploring true crimes and strange happenings of the
1: American South.
2: Welcome back to Down Home Fear. My name is HH H. Keegan. You're about to listen to part two of a two-part southern horror series that I recorded with two friends. In this segment, Vivian, one of my guests, discusses a really creepy vampire legend from the city of New Orleans. I also tell a story regarding a murderous spirit named Huggin Molly that hails from southern Alabama. If you haven't listened to part one of this series, I highly recommend that you do so. Vivian and I are also joined by longtime friend of the show, Amy, so you'll hear her voice as well if you do decide to jump in right at part two. We're going to pick up right where we left off after part one, so I'll wrap this intro up and let Vivian Get started.
1: All right, so I'm here to talk about some New Orleanian bloodsuckers today. Not the suave and rice vamps of old, but the more terrifying and weird kinds that you definitely don't want to run into in some dark French Quarter alley on an eerie, foggy night, which I may or may not have done, and I will talk about that. I'll shelve that for later. <laughs> so,
2: you, you lived in uh, New Orleans for a period of years, right?
1: Yeah, almost two years. I went to grad school there. So it was a nice, a nice firsthand. <laughs> yeah, you've view, got uh, some
2: experience with with the area, so you uh, yes. you've seen many of these streets and walked down them many times. Yes. So, you, I've also kn- done
1: one of the supernatural kind of ghost tours that they offer, and they'll take you around. They <laughs> step one, they put a drink in your hand, and step two, they walk you around <laughs> the French Classic Quarter. Classic
2: New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then they stop at a bar at one point in time, which is haunted it's the uh, i think jean lafitte's bar old bar or a blacksmith of his had a bar and the, you can see his ghost apparently in the fireplace if you you know look at, it at a certain angle on a certain night and at notice. a certain level
2: of drunkenness <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah okay cool so um so what's up with with these vampires that
1: okay so we've all heard of vampires whether they're kind of the more watered-down Twilight branding or the actually horrifying uh, Nosferatu of the 1922 German film. I don't know if you've seen clips from that, but it keeps me up at night. Um. It's
2: it's a very weird, surreal, (laughs) surreal costume design Nosferatu.
1: Absolutely. And so those drinkers of blood have existed in mythology nearly as long as human civilization has there's records of them all throughout history, from Persia to the Greeks, the Vikings, the Americas have uh, the chupacabras that we touched on earlier, um, so on and so forth. But the vampire concept, as it as we know of it today, really kicked off in the 17th and 18th centuries. There's a great book from Paul Barber called Vampires, Burial and Death, Folklore and Reality that basically talks about how local superstitions combined with an enormous lack of understanding of how corpse decomposition worked led to the birth of the modern european vampire myth which you should definitely check out it's a really interesting book um if you have time but so with that we will hop into our time machine and head to new orleans as it was just beginning uh in 1718 new orleans was founding is founded by the french as a strategic port city and by 1722 it is made the capital of french louisiana And then subsequently, raised mostly to the ground by a hurricane, Uh, it begins to rebuild, the French Quarter starts to form, and life begins again. But the city is missing an essential element. The ladies. The ladies. (sighs) So most citizens of New Orleans at this time are unmarried men, laborers, deported prisoners, hunters, trappers, thieves, murderers, drunks, pirates, some of the most (laughs) unsavory characters that you can imagine. But very few women, apparently. So the French decided to import some.
2: What? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: and this is where our Louisiana vampire legend begins. <laughs> so, remember has it that the city's founder, Jean-Baptiste Moyne gainville asked the king of France to send the women, and in 1728, a group of orphans, or prostitutes, or there's a lot of conflicting uh, origin stories for these women. Some of them are... Very respectable girls from very respectable families that were sent to uh, help raise their family status back at home, or some of them were prostitutes. You know, they just handpicked people off the streets hmm. that just didn't have anywhere else to go. There's a lot of conflicting origins for these girls, but they were sent over and arrived in 1728 to help bolster the population of the swampy city.
0: All right. That's so crazy. It's very creepy to me. We're oh starting it's off foreign. strong, okay?
2: Yeah, that's crazy. So that uh, human trafficking,
1: essentially, essentially, and okay. And one one tidbit. So this is all of this information is cobbled together from various reports and book excerpts. So it's difficult to tell. There's a lot of conflicting information. I've pulled together what is most commonly repeated, which seems to be the most truthful truthful in quotes okay (laughs) but so yeah that was apparently the the way that they were picked and sent over Hmm. Uh, so with them they brought these wooden hope chests that most likely emphasis on most likely contained their only possessions linens clothes books perhaps a bridal gown in french the word for these chests is cassette but it has been mistranslated into casket Hmm in I in, like that in Creaky. English. Okay. So it's again <laughs> yeah. it's slightly unclear since most of the people in New Orleans at that time were French why there would be this mistranslation into casket, but hmm. I digress. So as the chests look, you know, apparently quite coffin-like, uh, they there was it was mistranslated into casket, so they called these girls les filles à la cassette or the casket girls. So,
0: yeah, I feel like that that screams right? vampire to me right off the bat.
2: The Casket Girls sounds like the name of like a goth like metal band. band. It sounds yeah. like a
1: great band name. Yeah.
2: Yeah, like typo negative and the Casket Girls. <laughs> oh, I love that. On on the same uh, at the same uh, tour or whatever.
1: So, these Casket Girls come ashore and take their vaguely coffin-like chests straight to the Ursuline Convent, which was built the year before. Great. It's just yeah. So, so those sure. are
0: the hope chests, right? So for people who might not be familiar with a hope chest, it's something that young women uh, in some cultures get as children, and they put things from their childhood in it, and it's supposed to symbolize like your hopes and dreams, and also your past. So there's, like it varies from culture to culture, but just so you have some context of why they had casket-like boxes. <laughs>
1: For my family, we have my grandmother's, and it was less of a place to put childhood things, but more to put things in for once you get married, you'd have your dresses and things like that in there for once you get married and and move into your husband's uh, home. Hmm. So it's all the things that you would need to take with you. That
0: like it would is contain something I've heard of too. Yeah, that it would makes contain sense.
1: your childhood things, yes, but it was also for getting you to your new home with all the things that you needed. But there's I think there's definitely a variation depending on where you're coming from. So, uh, these girls are supposed to live at the convent until their guardians can find them somebody suitable to marry, a tough job considering the population at the time. Now, the number of girls who disembarked varies wildly. Some sources say 50, others say 300, some say it was only at that time, others say that they kept coming in over the years. But uh, they all agree on one thing that shortly after the arrival of these pale, strange girls, the mortality rate in New Orleans spiked. Dun, dun, dun. Here we see an uptick in rumors about people murdered and drained of blood, exsanguinated bodies in back alleys and on the streets.
2: <laughs> what? Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> the locals began to wonder what the girls had brought with them in their cassettes. Were they harboring vampires in their casket like luggage? Had the church shipped him over as retribution for all the sins the colonists had committed? Alcoholism, murder, gambling, debauchery, you name it. Or perhaps it was the girls themselves who were the ones responsible for the deaths. After all, they had arrived from their months-long journey across the Atlantic looking pale and sickly. Perhaps they were the ones who'd been feeding on the unsuspecting populace. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Going, yeah, I don't know. I like I like underdog stories, I guess. <laughs> and this is, sounds like one of them.
0: What? <laughs> I want that to be a clip.
2: Ooh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's like underdog stuffy. <laughs> this is an underdog. I mean, it's like uh, it's like any good like superhero story it starts with like someone going through like struggles and shit, and then some sort
1: of tragedy. Some sort of Super tragedy. And,
2: and then they become vampires and start like <laughs> killing like pirates in New Orleans.
1: The perfect story. <laughs> I feel like that would be a really. If you subscribe to the idea that vampires disliked sunlight, I feel like New Orleans would be one of the last places I would want to be because it is quite hot and quite sunny. That's fair.
0: That's fair.
1: But it is really pretty, and there's a lot of um, drunk people to feed on without their knowledge. So <laughs> easy you know, Really gotta toe that line. There's
2: lots of there's lots of good uh, swamp lands to go hide in as well. Exactly.
1: So. All this is going on and people get swept up in the hysteria. Some of them marched over to the convent and demanded to see what was in the girls' hope chests. So they opened a few, empty. With fear spreading like a disease, the nuns decided it would be best to lock up the chests in the third floor attic of the convent. And rumor has it that they affixed heavy shutters to the windows and sealed them shut with nails that had been blessed by the Pope himself. Okay. was this
0: like a special request did they mail a letter to the pope or does every, I was gonna say, is every do they, church get do that? i'm just really curious about the logistics of this it's
1: unclear how how that, that order was processed Fair but
0: enough.
1: i think they just had faced enough pressure that they'd sent word to the vatican mm. and the vatican had, you know mailed them these nails i don't know that's wonderful they
2: just have emergency like vampire blocking nails you know, vampire. I feel like males. it's
1: all it covers all things. It just, <laughs> well, so they put the they took the chests because they were people were afraid that the vampires were in the chests, mm-hmm. uh, or that it was a place for them to come and be come back to at the end of the night and be safe in or something mm. and so they were, people were less afraid of the girls it seemed and more afraid of the chests. Okay. So they locked the chests away in the... Better than locking the girls in the oh, attic. definitely better. Yeah. Uh, but So they locked them away in Greed. the attic. But, so it says that they may have been may or may not have been sealed with nails blessed by the Pope. That is to be, you know, <laughs> up, up for debate. <laughs> for debate, but so they do actually. I've walked by the Ursuline convent. Uh, they do have these heavy shutters on the windows, and it's you can see they're really only on the those top attic floors. Oh, mm. that's cool. They're not on cool. the other floors. Huh?
2: What does, what suspicious. does the actual uh, building look like? Is it like an old uh, Gothic style?
1: It's really, it's a really pretty building, or it's a complex. There's, uh, it's right behind, or no, it's not right behind. It's a little bit around the corner from Jackson Square, where the I think it's the St. Louis Cathedral is, but it's this beautiful walled complex. The buildings are this kind of cream color, and all of the, um, what is the word for the shutters on the shutters on the doors? Yeah, on the windows, I mean shutters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So all of the buildings are this beautiful white kind of tan color, tan white color, and the shutters are all black. Um, hmm. And they've got a couple of buildings and there's a garden in there as well. You can't really see, as far as I remember, you can't really see very well over the wall to see what the complex looks like uh, at night. Cause they, they lock the gate, but it is a museum nowadays. So you can go in and look around. I don't think they use it as a, an actual place where people live and, and, come to study and practice religion
0: Hmm.
1: interesting cool so however some people swear that to this day if you look up at the windows of the covenant's third floor attic on a foggy moonless light moonless night you may see them wide open shutters flung aside and everything which i have not personally witnessed as far as i recall they've always been closed but again they're the only windows that have such heavy shutters like that on the buildings and it's on that building. It's not, the other ones in the area don't have a similar setup either. Hmm. So it's a bit, it is a bit strange. That, you, would, you would recognize it. Yes, it's a little suspicious too. I mean, why do you need such heavy shutters
0: there? For I mean, the vampires. Well, so
1: some, people have offered, of <laughs> some people have offered up the reasoning that perhaps they've sealed these windows on that floor because of hurricane reasons. But mm-hmm. But why wouldn't you want to, shutter up all of the other ones as well because it's I mean, hmm. the, the rest of the building is still going to get hit just as hard by That's a hurricane true. it's That's not true. just those top ones <laughs> so the legend has it that in 1978 two amateur reporters attempted to get in get to the bottom of these rumors they visited the convent which is as I said now a museum seeking answers and to go see into the attic and see into these these caskets but the archdiocese denied them entry and threw them off the grounds So the reporters did what most, you know, determined reporters would do. They snuck back in at night, great idea, to set up cameras and listening devices. Hmm. Bad news for these guys. They were found the next day. Oh, no. Their bodies sprawled across the front steps, Uh, drained of blood. Drained of blood? Their recording (laughs) equipment strewn across the lawn. This is super intense. I will note that there are, I've looked, there are... No police records or newspaper articles I was gonna say, that I can find to corroborate. Fishy, fishy.
2: Did they even have like reports of anyone getting killed there, like for any
1: reason? I looked. I looked. I googled, you know, Ursuline Convent murders and they, just every keyword around those lines that I could think of, and I couldn't find anything solid. There was no newspaper article or obituary or anything. Hmm. So it's well, hard to back that one up.
2: I'm disappointed, but
1: not surprised. Maybe there's somebody covering it up. Who knows? So, while the casket girls may have faded into myth, there are some much more recent accounts circulating of vampires in New Orleans in modern day, present day. Uh, In 2015, a doctoral candidate at LSU, Louisiana State University, wrote about this ethnographic research that he'd conducted in New Orleans with people who consider themselves kind of a secret society of blood drinkers. Uh, and unlike the vampires of Dracula lore, these people see vampirism as more of a medical condition or a spiritual illness. What?
2: Yeah, I don't know about that, man.
1: Kind of like a vitamin deficiency, but for blood or psychic energy instead of B12s.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: I don't really know how to receive that
0: information.
2: I'm say I dis- I disagree with their self-diagnosis. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so it's a little bit questionable whether or not these people are or are not, but they do participate in feeding off of either one another or willing donors, essentially. Willing donors? Yes, willing donors. Um, So it's up for debate whether they are quote-unquote real vampires (laughs) or not but this it's definitely to me falls under a form of cannibalism wait,
2: wait what do you think makes a real vampire
0: the the fangs I feel like the special fangs also you die if you don't drink blood okay that's a that's a real vampire. but I think yeah. this is
2: like what these people would argue is that they'll die if they don't drink this
0: let's put it to the test
2: Okay. <laughs> well, are you saying you're going to put these people's lives on the line? I
0: mean, I feel like they could probably eat a hamburger and still be okay. Just right? a really bloody steak. Yeah, that's fine.
2: <laughs> Yo, they self-identify as vampires. We have to respect that.
0: I just, I think back to... Because we did the episode on cannibalism mm. like a couple months ago. And that
2: was like six months ago. But yeah. yeah, I yeah. mean,
0: six months ago, a couple months ago. But... It reminds me of that episode because we talked about the many forms that cannibalism can take. We talked. Did we talk about the guy who like was an artist and made meatballs?
2: Um, I, I think we may have edited that oh, part okay. out.
0: Just ignore that then. No, but I think I,
2: I, I can't remember though. Okay. But
0: we talked about multiple forms, whether or not it was edited out. And I, to me, like that's what this is. Like that's a form of cannibalism in my mind.
2: Yeah. Um. S- s- uh. Amy had this. Story that I can't remember if we included or not in that episode because it, it's so far back. Um, Six months. It's like, yeah, that was a, a while ago. So, off the top of my head, I don't know. But anyway, um, there was a story that we may or may not have included where an artist cooked meatballs that out used. Of his own fat. You, yeah, they used his own body fat that oh. had been like like sucked out of his body.
1: Liposuction. Yeah, yeah no, like liposuction. That. That. And he like
0: served it to people, and we were talking about whether that constitutes as cannibalism. I would
1: say yes, that's because it's part of it's yeah. either bodily parts or fluids that you're serving to people. So I, yeah, I would guess that counts as cannibalism. Yeah. I'm I'm glad he did it by a liposuction instead of something a little more extreme. That's at, like at just carving. Yeah, that. yeah, that's a, that's at least slightly more safer and. Not deadly to so, yourself. <laughs> A hard dislike on this.
2: Yeah, I think it's disgusting. I don't care if, what his artistic vision was. I, I mean, whatever, man. It's, uh,
1: yeah, no one in this room is on board with that.
2: Yeah, we're not on board with yeah. eating.
1: Definitely vetoing self meatballs.
2: Yeah, even if it's like consenting... Donors. I mean, I guess
0: you do you, but, like, I don't want to have any part in that. That's what I feel like it comes down to with the people who think that they're vampires. You do you. But don't hurt anybody else. He, yeah, so um... they, have, they
1: seem to have... There's a Washington Post article that discusses this. What? Yes, it's from 2015. Uh, and it talks about how these people have a quite close-knit community where they will... Con, you know, contact donors and and sign up to okay. well, do this. We don't do this, in, this to in, a, in a consenting, you you're out there listening to this. I'm in a sorry, consenting medical humane way. So they're not hurting anybody. Okay, the the donors are consenting. Then um, that's great. You guys do you. If
2: they do, if there was no one consenting to it, would they just go out and start harvesting
1: people?
0: I I guess the, they would drink each other's blood. That was an option, right?
1: That yeah. I Well, I one of the people in the article was someone who considered themselves a vampire and they were a drink from their husband, but I don't believe the husband also considered himself a vampire so I don't think I don't know if they quite drink well, the one another well if he did
2: then okay. they probably couldn't drink his blood because he's also a vampire so you, don't you need human blood
0: I feel like this is a murky
2: gray area. <laughs> okay <laughs> okay so we should probably move on at this point
1: <laughs> so to wrap up um, so the research show goes to show that whether or not the casket girls brought over or were themselves the first vampires in New Orleans uh, they certainly weren't the last perhaps ooh so spooky.
0: I really, I'm still uh, hooked on the casket girls as a name for a, band, a band or a song.
2: That's a great. Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic song or band name. I think that that story in general is is very very interesting. Um, how where's like the level of veracity on that? Like, you you said that there was a bunch of murky. Information in terms of like how many of these women or, or girls were actually like brought to New Orleans, um, do, like how, is this this story? Is there any shred of it that seems true, or is it more of like an interesting urban legend of sorts?
1: What seems to be coming out of the various sources that I looked up that is more more true than, than not true is that that the girls were in fact brought over. That mm. seems to be super solidly true. But the the rest of the information, whether they were orphans or prostitutes or girls from well-meaning families, that part is hard to untangle. And then what happened to them afterwards is also a little bit hard to untangle. Some of them, some of the sources said that they were, some of them were married off and went and lived their lives. Others said that they, were married off to really awful people and abused and ran away and that's there's, horrible. There's a lot of conflicting information about what happens to them after they get to New Orleans. Right. So it's it's not quite clear, you know, how many, what happened to them, how accurate the rumors of all of these murders occurring after their arrival are. It's it's very murky, but wow. they do the Ursuline convent did end up becoming a school at one point in time so it was a convent and then it was kind of an academy of sorts where they were they would send young women to go to school there so that part at least is definitely true
2: interesting well i I think that story is very fascinating and i had never heard that before
1: i may or may not have seen either yeah let's i do
2: want to hear your personal (laughs) encounter with with these individuals
1: i may or may not have seen either the people from the LSU research or an actual vampire that that is up for debate but (laughs) um, my friend and I were going through we're walking through the French Quarter towards Cafe du Monde uh, and most of the time those streets are pretty crowded I mean it's a very it's a French Quarter it's a very touristed area there's just a ton of people there on the walking on the street in the street and you don't really tend to notice people as you walk by just because uh-huh. there are so many unless they're doing something rather strange which does happen pretty frequently in the world. <laughs> I once saw a guy walking a llama down the street. What? So, you know, that those things happen, but you don't know mostly normal, you don't notice the people who are mostly normal looking around you as you pass by them. But my friend and I were walking past uh, Jackson Square and these three people on our left I noticed and I don't know why I noticed them, but I remember looking over at them because something about them just caught my it didn't even catch my eye, just like my my, well, you, my brain. Detected was like, a hey, look vampire. <laughs> but they were I, I think if I had to describe a, an actual vampire, like that's what they would look like. They were super pale, very just odd looking, <laughs> kind of the sunken dark eyes, <laughs> and they were dressed in semi old tummy clothes like they weren't in jeans and t-shirts it was like stranger kind of older clothes Mm -hmm. it was very strange and my friend and I I remember we both just we didn't even say anything to one another we just at the same time stopped and kind of watched them pass and it was the strangest thing ever because we both you know we watched them pass by and um, turned to one another and went at the same exact time went I think those were vampires (laughs) (laughs) Right. And I've never, I've never seen them again. Uh, I hadn't seen them before that. I hadn't seen them after that. It was just that one moment, but it was just such a strange, particular instance mm-hmm. where it, it, just, it stuck so firmly in my mind. Huh. Just really big
0: fans of the originals or <laughs> something. <laughs> It's a it's vampire a show set in oh, New okay. set in Orleans. Orleans. <laughs> so, cool. I don't watch that, but I do know what it's about.
2: Okay, well, I think that's I think that's interesting um, for sure.
0: Can I do like a, a quick song for the end where we can be like Caskey girl? <laughs> Not right now, but right, cool. I think we should. Do want to get? You can
1: get your guitar.
2: All right, I have one final story. It's a story that I had not heard of before, but it's claims to be one of the most famous stories from the South when it comes to ghosts and haunted areas. This is the story of Huggin' Molly. Let me take you to Abbeville, Alabama. It's in the southeastern part of the state, very, very deep south. So we're talking like lowlands, densely forested areas. Abbeville has a population of less than 2,500. And historically, it was home to the Creek and Seminole Indians. The Muscogee Indian tribe, who were a subset of the Creek Indians, notably fought alongside Andrew Jackson.
0: Oh, another Andrew Jackson appearance. That
2: I know. Isn't, isn't that interesting? So um, a brief history lesson on Andrew Jackson. He was an American president who signed the Indian Removal Act in 1830, which effectively forced thousands of Native Americans in the southeastern United States to move hundreds of miles westward across the Mississippi River and countless people died during this process, countless Native Americans. It's a very, very dark time in American history. So I just mentioned that because this, uh, this area is one of the key places where, where these sorts of uh, inhumane activities would have been occurring. But as far as I can tell, these days, not a whole lot happens in Abbeville. Their news and events page on their town website has 4 entries for all of 2017 so far, and most of them involve updates on a broken sewage line. So this is a very quiet, low-key community. However, it's also home to a legendary spirit who has been dubbed Huggin Molly. And are
0: you saying hugging like hugging like, like they're giving to them. embrace hug, somebody okay. yeah
1: hugging Molly. I just so this is this not a, mo- this is not a comforting ghost then I'm going to guess mm, just, mm, to be debated. <laughs> <Well>, vision <live here. laughs>
2: let's let's uh, let's just find out about that so uh, when I am reading when i was reading about this story i was reminded a lot of traditional stories of banshees which are originally from irish mythology and i was also reminded of la llorona which is a really popular folk tale in many latin american uh communities Mm. so basically these stories revolve around wailing female spirits who are trapped on earth for some sort of reason and they prey on people who specifically on children or teenagers who are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing
0: that'll teach them
2: yeah and, and so both of these stories are, are used as kind of ways to get kids to fall in line and, and you know not uh, be staying out late after dark
1: kind of like a boogeyman of sort yeah.
2: exactly yeah kind of kind of a boogeyman sort of deal. It's, it's said that on the darkest, coldest, rainiest nights of the year in Abbeville, Alabama... Sounds lovely. <laughs> a mysterious figure emerges from the thick forests that surround the town, and it roams the town's streets searching for victims. Believed to be a female spirit, she is said to be unnaturally tall well over six feet. Her MO is to stalk the streets, looking for young people who have stayed out past their curfew. It's said that she quietly stalks her victims until she creeps close enough to wrap her ice-cold arms around them and suffocate them as she lets out an inhumanly loud scream. She has become to have been referred to as Huggin Molly.
0: Ooh, creepy.
2: It's, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, think, I think it's quite creepy. The legend dates back to the early 1900s, and there are many local anecdotes about the strange spirit. So here's just one account of Huggin' Molly. Sometime in the 1910s, a teenager named Mac Gregory had finished his shift at the local grocery store later than usual. He was walking home after nightfall. In those days, there were no streetlights and it was extremely dark unless you had a lantern, which Gregory did not. Years later, Gregory would write that he heard footsteps about 30 feet behind him, and when he turned to look squinting in the pitch black Alabama night, he just barely made out the shape of a hulking woman faceless and shrouded in dark clothing. The woman, or perhaps the creature, was matching his pace, yet somehow seemed to be inching closer and closer to him. Gregory was terrified, but maintained a steady stride until he finally made it to the street he lived on. Once he saw the light on his front porch, he sprinted as fast as he could to the front door, thinking surely the woman would catch him. Luckily, he safely made it inside, but as he peered through his window, he saw that the street was completely empty. Not a man, woman, or ghost in sight. Hug and Molly doesn't just frighten teenagers who have stayed out later at night than they were supposed to. Over the years, many adults, even the town doctor, reported seeing the strange and menacing spirit. Both black and white residents of Abbeville reported seeing the figure, which is significant because at the time the legend originated, the United States was still largely racially segregated, especially in the deep South. So you wouldn't expect someone to be playing simple pranks in both the black parts of town and the white parts of town.
0: That's interesting.
2: Yeah, I thought so too. Admittedly, There has never been a documented killing at the hands of Huggin' Molly, but she's remained an iconic figure in Abbeville's local history. Various explanations for the legend have been offered over the years. Nowadays, most people seem to think that Huggin' Molly was most likely an Abbeville resident dressed in black robes who liked to scare children and adults alike by creeping after them.
1: Okay, I can buy that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> What's your hobby? Oh, you know. <laughs> Scaring children. Scaring children. Dressing up like a demon and <laughs> hanging outside on a Friday night lurking after people.
2: Right. And, and so the thought is that it started as this simple prank. And over the, over the years, the legend grew in popularity and new details about the person constricting victims in a deadly embrace got added to the mix. In any case, Abbeville has adopted Hug and Molly as an unofficial mascot in a sense. Some local businesses use her likeness in their names or logos. A sign recently erected on the outskirts of town even states welcome to Abbeville, the home of Hug and Molly, with an image of a ghoulish figure chasing a terrified child oh, for good no. measure. <laughs>
1: It's, it almost feels like the Baba Babadook who's become this yeah. LGBTQ icon kind of by accident. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, um, on a scale of scariness, where do you rank this one?
0: Well, you said that she hadn't actually killed anyone who reported her, right?
2: Well, there's no documented killings. That doesn't mean that they haven't happened, but they weren't um, reported.
0: I feel like it's less scary to me because she's just... I mean, I would definitely be terrified... If that happened to me. But I feel like, especially, have there been any recent reports of hugging Molly? Like, do people see her around now?
2: I think the reports have kind of died out. She's Mm -hmm. become more of a, you know, a a mascot for the city. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people dress up as her as, as like, a practical joke.
0: So I'm going to put her, like, solidly at, like, a two.
2: A two. Okay, wow.
0: I feel like I'd be scared in the moment, but, like, objectively looking at the story she hasn't like there have been no killings at her hands right she's just right she's just
1: following you home yet yeah. yet
2: well, what, what about you Vivian what are you thinking
1: as someone who lives on a very dark just kind of basically not well lit street and I have to walk all the way up that by myself and across a bridge I would place that at like a seven or an eight just because okay. just, just the idea that's scarier of, to you than the guy with the axe yeah, just yeah. the idea of walking home in the dark and seeing somebody behind you just I've following had that you is super before, though, and i feel like the axe
0: definitely wins out i haven't had that happen yet so knock on wood <laughs> I'm, I'm that's gonna, i mean they weren't out to get me but i like you know when someone's just too close and they're following you and you you think they're following you and you're just like Ugh. but i feel like axe definitely scarier to me than walking.
2: I personal opinion. I actually agree with Vivian oh, on this one. I think I think it's uh, scarier than the buddy man legend because it's not quite as over the top. Uh, one of the things about the bunny man story is that it kind of fuses a few different kind of like classic urban legend tropes like the lover's lane thing yeah, absolutely. Uh, The the hook hand thing is, is kind of worked in there um, And it, it's it's kind of comical in a sense like as an adult I, I don't if I saw a dude in, in a bunny mask, I'd probably be like, Alright, well I'm gonna avoid that guy.
0: Somebody hasn't seen Donnie Darko. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I actually have not.
1: I'm gonna um, get on that. Yeah, no, the um, to
2: your to-do list. No, awesome. I'm not I don't like it. I tried watching it, it wasn't into it. But anyway, back. Um, back on topic though. Yeah, it seems comical to me, like a, a like crazed maniac bunny killer, like you know as like a seven year old i'm like oh my god no but as an adult i'm like oh come on man like I've, i see you two have like watched horror movies before you know it's just it's silly but with uh and molly it's a little bit more of a nebulous idea mm. I, I i have this i love the idea of like specters like coming out of the forest mm. and, and like just like stalking the streets and stuff i think that's like so creepy it's
0: definitely and, creepy and weird
2: especially in like a small town in the middle of Alabama mm. on like a rainy night. Alright, I'll a-
0: bump it up to a three, but <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> Oh, okay. That. I would well, give that's it a very s- generous of uh, you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I would give it a solid seven and a half. I also think um the fact that it's a female spirit is, is scarier.
0: That's fair. Yeah. I
2: I three think beer. I think just a little twist on the whole like maternal caring, mm. nurturing vibe that makes it inherently more.
0: And there are a lot of, like, female, like you were talking about, banshees. I think of uh, the women in white mythology.
1: Yeah, that motif is really... Yeah. I think it's sad, more... It's, I mean, it's it is terrifying, sad. but for me, I also just feel like it's more sad than anything. Yeah. Or even though you mentioned the La, La Llorona mm-hmm. uh, myth, and it just... Yeah, it's terrifying, but it's also very sad. But it does put this strange kind of maternal twist on things that just make it a little bit creepy, because... The thought is, you know, what could be more horrifying than murdering your own children? Mm. Is, that's the kind of take yeah, that I get. Yeah,
2: I, it. so I, I agree with you. There, there's a way. tragic element. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thank you for having
1: us.
2: You guys have been great. You're great. Thank you so much. (laughs) I mean, so much, Amy.
1: Life coach Amy over here. That's what I'm here for. (laughs)
2: Um, I have some closing questions, though, before before we end things. Go for it. The first one that I have for you two is what draws people to paranormal slash horror stories?
0: Okay, so I'm the kind of person who loves going on Ask Reddit and reading those like, "What's the most paranormal experience you've ever had? Mm-hmm. What's um, the creepiest thing you've ever experienced?" Yeah, yeah. I love those. Have kinds.
2: you seen Hug and Molly? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe we should post that. Uh, but I like, I'm definitely drawn to those type of things. Or like, there's multiple subreddits for that and websites, etc. Um, and I think part of it is just the creepy aspect especially if people have experienced something unusual or unexplainable before they're drawn to stuff like that i personally like reading the stuff that gives me like oh Careful. i like reading the stuff that gives me like fear tears so i have a fear you know what i mean fear, like can you please explain where your wait,
2: wait would you call them tears for fears it's
0: like when you get so scared reading something that your eyes start to tear up like you're not crying but you're like so afraid you're.
2: You're having up. that sympathetic nervous reaction.
0: Nervous but like, I can't say I've ever experienced. That okay, either. so I don't, I don't think I have either. I well, I'm also like a very I, I draw a weird line. Wait,
2: so when you watch a scary movie, do you like start tearing up? No,
0: I feel like it's just reading because then you put yourself in the situation like you yourself. Whereas when you're watching a movie like a scary movie or a scary TV show, you just. uh... I don't know, you're, you're sympathizing with the character. So for me, it's less scary than if you're, like, home alone at night reading a scary story that, like,
1: hits all the right points. You know what I mean? Or that you're t- home alone trying to, you know, do the dishes and tidy up around the house and you're listening to uh, the podcast, the episode where you talked about the uh, Colonial Parkway killer. I had to stop at one oh. point in time because oh, um, I, really?
0: I was home alone and it was getting a little <laughs> too, too much. much. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's definitely fair.
2: So you're saying that you think it's interesting to read other people's paranormal experiences because you can relate to them because you've you've had strange experiences of sorts in the past?
0: Yeah, I think even if you haven't, but if you have an open mind or you're just interested in the creepy and unexplained period, like you can you can put yourself in that situation and imagine interacting with something weird or I think people also are really drawn to stories and like any sort of story that's out of the normal is something that you're gonna wanna read. So I think it really depends on the person, but I feel like that's part
1: of it. Hmm. How about you? For me, I I would define myself as a scientist and so I think for me the attraction to the kind of gothic and supernatural and the weird is for me a bit, It's not quite as conflicting as like religion and science, but it's like I try to mostly believe in things that I can see or test for or things that other people also can confirm. But for me, the appeal of the supernatural is that we we can't quite quantify it or measure it or detect it properly. And there's so many unexplained instances or creatures or whatnot that are out there. And I'm just fascinated by the existence of All of that and of other people's wide experience with these things.
0: Hmm.
1: So for me, it's kind of, it's not necessarily a let's uncover the truth or let's prove that it's real or not. It's just the the thrill of being able to find or experience something that science can't quite deal with or measure.
2: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. <laughs> You're throwing your hands up, like. Uh, I was like, I don't know at all. Yeah, no, I, I, think that, I think that makes sense though. Um, there's, you know, things that can't be explained, and there's something inherently compelling about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Exactly okay <laughs> thank you for summing, <laughs> summing
1: up my <laughs> I mean, that,
2: that's, that was my takeaway i, I don't know if you've if that's uh yeah. anyway no that's
1: so, accurate okay
2: cool You're and good. so my my next question is uh what is the first horror story you remember hearing slash reading slash watching oh,
0: okay i have the horror story that still scares uh, no? me today okay I'm not gonna- should I do like tell it? Tell it? Or should I just like give us a synopsis?
2: (laughs) If you can do like a nutshell like 15 to 30 second version.
0: The nutshell of this story is essentially (laughs) this little girl gets a doll and the doll comes to life in the middle of the night and talks to her and the girl gets so scared she tries to tell her parents. They don't believe her. Whatever. One night the doll murders her parents. And that's, that's the story. But it really freaked me out because, like, I don't like... I Still as an adult, I don't like dolls. Like, there was one point as a kid, I loved dolls. And then I watched Chucky by accident. And then... And you were like, never again. Exactly. <laughs> Get these out of my house. I all my dolls out. I was like, please, never again. And, like, to this day, like, it, they fall in the uncanny valley for me. So it's yeah. so, like, they're just too close to being human. And it freaks me out. So I, I really, as a
1: person, hate dolls. I just can't. Uh, I'm uh, a thousand percent with you on that.
2: How old were you when you read or was it a story or was it, it like was a like tv show
1: something that
0: someone said at like a day summer camp in like oh, first grade
2: okay it was
0: like the same time that story with the girl with the string
2: uh dude okay well that's oh, mine that i was gonna talk, I it yeah, gonna talk about yeah about you yeah.
1: To the neck one. yeah yeah everybody here knows it yeah i don't remember exactly the first individual story but i Definitely remember reading the um, scary stories to tell in the dark. Oh yeah, books. I think that was yeah.
2: Those are the best. As
1: far back as I can remember, that was my first encounter with those. And I will say, the reading the stories out loud definitely had a you know chilling, thrilling impact. But the chilling, thrilling the the, uh, the illustrations in those books were so incredibly spooky. Yeah, and just chilling to the bone. It was. They're fantastic, but also horrifying. <laughs> they're,
2: um, they're, like, very, uh, like, surrealistic, extremely weird, like, uh, ink drawings. Yes. Kind of like, um, they remind me sort of like uh, the, uh, the dude who used to do the artwork for, like, a lot of Hunter S. Thompson stuff. Like that weird, like splattered ink and like graphite, just weird as They're very, very creepy images. H- have you seen the ones where uh, the new editions? They've actually changed the illustrations.
1: No, I haven't. Yeah. Are, they, are they? What do they look like?
2: Um, not nearly as scary or creepy or cool. Yeah, it's some Sad. bullshit. I don't. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> but uh, no,
1: the pictures were pretty much half of the half of a scare factor for me at least because they just were so creepily done and it just added this visual element that you can't quite get when you're just reading through it yeah it's kind of a yeah definitely
2: it definitely brought them to like the next level of creepiness and I I remember uh, you know like when I, I don't know I was like eight or nine years old or whatever we had this one like collection of that like volume three or whatever and we would my brothers and i would like read through it and we would be like af- like literally afraid to turn the pages oh, because yeah. the 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 images are like so intense and i
0: need to pick up a book i'm like very have you curious. never seen those I so i didn't get to read a lot of this stuff when i was a kid like i because like, again, fear, tears, right? So, like, I definitely get afraid of things. And I think as a kid, my mom was just like, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just never owned those books. But I'm curious
1: now. So I'm going go to go to the library. Yeah. <laughs> Good we should up. do a scary story night Ooh. at somebody's house. Love it. I love it. All right, tell your story. I, I want to hear.
2: Okay. Um, mine is actually, so the, it's the girl with the green ribbon. Mm. Um, and I think there's a bunch of different variations mine was of this a string. story. Yeah. yeah have,
1: it, I've heard the ribbon one most um,
2: really so basically the the nutshell version of that is um there's like a little boy and he and this is like a kid's book it's like intended for like small children children, um you know and so it's i don't know the whole story is maybe 15 pages long And, and you know it's like one sentence on each page so it's like this weird almost like I don't know, like poetic kind of like clipped sentences. And you're kind of like reading through and like going along, going along, going along. Anyway, so this boy and a girl meet, they're like five years old. And the kid is always like very fascinated with her. And they're kind of like friends. And she always is wearing this green ribbon around her neck. And um, basically the kid's always really curious about it. And as they're growing up together, he always asks her to take it off and she never does and uh eventually i I think they they grow older and i think they get married and at some point uh, she dies or while she's sleeping he takes the ribbon off of her neck and like her head just falls off and and that's the end of the the book like the last page is like her head just falls off and so i i i came into contact with this story in like the late 90s when I was like four okay, years yeah. old and I was listening to it on audiobook and I was like following along with the book as I was listening to it like this cassette tape on Walkman because it was the fucking 90s. Oh my god. Yeah and so I was like I remember I was like sitting on the couch in uh, my parents house in Arlington and I, it just got to this page or the final page and um, I remember the like I was wearing these earphones and I got to that point, and I literally was, like, screaming no. in, like, abject terror. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, like, ripped the, like, headphones off and, like, ran and hid oh. in a closet. Like, I'm not exaggerating. Oh. It was so, yeah, it scared me so much. Yeah. But it's great. And, I, I mean, now all these years later, after the trauma has left, you know, <laughs> I, I think back, and I'm therapy like, sessions. Put, I'm like, man, that's a fucked up book, but, like, more power to that dude for, like, oh, marketing that to children. <laughs>
0: I mean, I I heard like that. Like, what's wrong area. with that guy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like very memorable because all of us had heard it, yeah. and like we grew up. Well, yeah. I mean, we grew up in the same area, Keegan and I. But Vivian had grew up across the country. Yeah,
1: so
2: yeah, she's from California, right? Yes, not from the south, but we let her on again.
1: <laughs> I guess you're allowed. I lived in the south. If I if counts,
2: that's true. That's true. Um, so yeah, that that's it for me and. Um, i guess uh i have one more question i don't know if i'll keep this one though because it's kind of lame but, go for um, it ask away what is the number one thing that freaks you out within the context of a horror story mm. like is it is it violence is it like supernatural stuff um
0: so for me this is for me um <laughs> i feel like that doesn't need to be said but <laughs> your voice voices pretty there we go um For me, the scariest thing in the context of, like, scary stories or scary movies, like, I'm going to include that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, I'm not going to include that because I feel like movies are a different thing. Scratch that. Okay. So, but the scariest thing in a super, the scariest thing in a story for me is if you cannot see the thing that is doing the
1: terrorizing. Mm -hmm. So, like. Anything non-corporeal. Yeah. So, if it's Mm -hmm.
0: I think that incorporates, so it means it's supernatural, which is already scary to me. Um, it means that it can, you know, do what it wants to do and you ha- would have no idea. And I think, like, that to me is, like, the scariest idea. I don't know if it always comes through in stories because the story I told today, like, I think it's kind of quirky, to be honest. Like, this voice is telling them that they're... she, she Don't get married. married. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, To me, that was kind of, like, goofy, but I feel like if, if told correctly and the story is, like, really scary, like, that stuff can be... Incredibly creepy. I actually think for movies, though, this is a personal opinion. For scary movies, it's way creepier if the people are real, cause like you're you're watching this inspired by true events. I mean, <laughs> but like not like not even supernatural. Like I don't know if you guys saw Get Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like my that's it's been my phenomenal f- movie. favorite scary yes. movie that's come out ever. And like we were talking about a movie that's coming out in a couple months called Happy Death Day oh did I, yeah sure uh
2: right. we have talked about this yeah I'm like, i can't remember it's
0: basically this girl gets murdered every it's her birthday and she gets murdered and then she wakes up and it's the same it's like a groundhog day but murdery i guess but to me it's creepy because it's like not a supernatural like person murdering her i don't know it, to me it like in movies it's scarier to see stuff that could actually happen so that's just a thought i don't know
2: yeah i agree with that um i'm really stoked about this it movie coming out oh my god by, by clowns your...
0: clowns and dolls man i'm so mad <laughs> i will watch Pass. it because like it is a wonderful well, story but duh
2: it's great i um this episode will most likely be going out well after it has been released um mm. by you know at least a, a few weeks um from or a couple of past. weeks yeah but uh anyway so like the kind of cool thing about that story is like the the concept of like the entity it is just this like cosmic evil thing like that's attached to this town and whatever whatever you think is like the scariest thing it could possibly be like that's what it takes the form of And it's like it's so. It's like a bugger
0: So it's
2: almost like it's almost like a twist on that, where like you're never really seeing what it actually is because that can't even be like quantified. Yes, no,
0: that's exactly (laughs) what is what is freaky. Like either it's not there or it's something that it's not, and it could take any form. Like that's freaky. Yeah,
2: it's uh, shape shifting stuff is really scary. Um, It is a really I'm gonna say really good novel for like probably like seventy five percent of the time. It's a really great novel. Are you talking
0: about the last part?
2: Yeah, well, there's some other stuff that's questionable in it, too, besides the infamous um, sex scene toward the end. Uh, But, yeah, uh, anyway, I'm I'm very excited about that movie. I can't wait to go see it. I think it'll be awesome. Sorry to get off track. Uh, Vivian.
1: I have two, because they're, for me, at least equally terrifying. I find small children like demon children or like possessed kids <laughs> in either uh, stories or in movies like mm. one of the most terrifying things like children yeah. with the black eyes yeah mm-hmm. like children that are possessed i just no. i'm like no yeah. no thanks um and then home and inv- anything dealing with home invasion so if it's like an yeah. invader in a ghost invader in your home or like something attacking your house like that to me is one of the scariest things i could possibly think of yes so those two are up there but i i I don't know i have a a bit of a scale so like dolls are definitely on there clouds are definitely on there it's the
0: uncanny valley nobody likes anything up in the
1: zone too close to
0: human it's a no-go
1: anything that is corporeal that has a body that you can kill i'm more okay with like thinking about that because it feels like you can actually stop it stop it but if it's as you were as amy was saying it's if you can't see it or it's not solid, yeah, what do you do? That's
0: the creepy part. There's no solution for you. You, you salt that house and hope for the
1: best. <laughs> salt yeah. it, and burn it to the ground, <laughs> and move. Oh my gosh,
2: yeah. I um, I don't know. For me, I get really, the stuff that I find really, really disturbing is uh, like being like imprisoned and like not being able to get out of a location. Yeah, that's really scary. Um, I I think that's absolutely terrifying um I, I really do like the idea of like supernatural malevolent forces not unlike
0: the idea of that yeah, yeah
2: I like I like the I <laughs> All right. from like an entertainment standpoint like it's <laughs> it's interesting uh, like for a movie, like, like hugging Molly mm-hmm. um like the conjuring you know even yeah. though that one has gone a little bit off the rails I, I, I like stuff that has, like, just, like, the purpose is evil. It doesn't have to be, like, some overthought, you know, social commentary thing or whatever. Mm It just, you know, I I think that's kind of refreshing and terrifying. Um.
0: (laughs) And terrifying.
2: (laughs) But yeah, that's um, that's really all I've got. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add uh, before we wrap up? We've been recording for a long time yeah, this today. Is,
0: I'm sorry, you're going to have to edit all of this.
2: Yeah, it's going to take a while to edit this. But uh, yeah, any any closing notes?
0: Uh, thanks so much for having us. This was fun. I hope that everybody, like, I don't know how spooky this was because I feel like we really talked a lot during <laughs> the scary stories. But I hope you found some of these pretty interesting
1: um, and hopefully we'll come up with some really crazy stuff for the next time. Yeah, Yeah. Up. absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I definitely want to recommend for anyone who's listening, definitely go to New Orleans and go on one of these ghost tours, poke around, see what's there. It's a really wonderful, spooky city. Um, more wonderful than spooky. Definitely spooky <laughs> at night sometimes, but yeah. it's fantastic. Historical, go, go see beautiful what's there. city. Eat lots of delicious things.
2: Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, thank you both uh, for coming on, and it was a pleasure having you and I hope we can do another uh, group episode like this again in the future Woo-hoo. So that that's it awesome thank, thank you. you bye. This concludes part two of our two-part series, Southern Horror. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I love doing these supernatural-themed episodes every once in a while. I would also like to say, again, just a huge, huge thank you to my two guests, Amy and Vivian, who were able to come on. I told them initially that this episode wouldn't take more than 45 minutes to record, And then once we got started, things just kind of unfolded, and we ended up recording for a solid two and a half hours, and they were super cool about it and and flexible with their time, and I I just really, really appreciate their help with this. I have good news, I guess, for some people out there. I, I recently learned, after we recorded the audio for this episode, I heard through the grapevine i.e on reddit that the original super messed up scary illustrations are going to once again be included in the scary stories to tell in the dark volumes and i think that's awesome i think that's the the right move to make uh, for sure so if you haven't seen those grotesque unnerving images Check them out, and you can even go to a bookstore and and purchase a brand new copy with the non-modified, non-watered-down images that they had in circulation for the past couple of years. Remember, you can email me at downhomefear at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, whatever about the show, I'm always happy to read them, and I almost always respond to them as well. So, um, you know, if you want to get in touch with me, that's a great way to do it. You can also join our Facebook page, Down Home Fear Podcast is the name of the Facebook group. Follow me on Twitter at Down Home Fear. And remember, it's really, really helpful if you tell a friend about the show or if you go onto iTunes and just take a second to rate and review Down Home Fear. Those are just two super easy, free ways that you can help support this podcast and keep it going. My name is H.H. Keegan. Thank you so much for joining on this long two-part episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Take care. I'll be back soon.
1: is an independently produced podcast. To support the show, visit www.downhomefear.com.